Welcome to another episode of the Community Board Podcast with your host Miguel Valdez and I'm here today with Shannon. Shannon, can you pronounce your last name? I wanna... <laughs> sure, it's Lachlan Tomaso. Oh, it's two last names. Two last names. Uh, one is that your husband or both are your... Tomaso's my husband and Lachlan's mine. Okay. And you were mentioned to me that you're originally from Chicago. Mm-hmm. What part of Chicago area? Well, we're from the suburbs, in a suburb called Barrington, which is like a northwest suburb. But I had lived downtown for a while, so I just love Chicago. Okay, and how long have you been here in Minnesota? Six years. Six years. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you... I've you survived six winters. <laughs> Great. Uh, and for our friends that are listening today, um, can you mention what are we going to be talking about? What are we going to be learning? Mm-hmm. Sure. I'm going to talk about to you about uh, uterine fibroids today and specifically some of the therapies that we can use to treat some of the symptoms of fibroids. Okay. So for our friends, um, in episode nine, we talked with Dr. Abby Stewart, mm-hmm. and she shared with us about this study that you guys are conducting national, mm-hmm. uh, national level, and it's called Compare UF. That's can, can you mention a little bit where is this uh, study again? Sure. Compare UF is a national study. There are nine clinical sites that are participating, and they're from all the way from the East Coast out to California. Um, we've tried to really mix up the location so that people can enter into the study close to home. Um, and we're basically looking for women with fibroids and following them along when they get their treatments. So most of it's just a survey study online, um, but you do need to kind of come to a clinical center to enroll in the study. And then we want to see what the outcomes are of treatments. Like, are you able to get pregnant after treatments? And you know, how how many times can you get pregnant after treatment? Or um, how well did the treatment work for your symptoms? So, and the reason that you guys are conducting this study again is because a lot of women don't get that choice when when they or or some do. Or some what? That's is absolutely correct. Yeah, most women are only offered hysterectomy, which is removal of the uterus for treatment of fibroids and symptoms. But many women could actually have um, much more conservative treatments and be able to keep their uterus, but they're not always aware of that. So we want to see how well those conservative treatments kind of match up with the relief women get from hysterectomy. Okay. And so, and what would it be those options? When, when we're talking about options, what do you guys offer mm-hmm. different than what is then unfortunately his- happening today? Yeah, we offer lots of therapies depending on the patient's symptoms. And there's kind of two big categories of symptoms. The most common is bleeding. So most people report that they've had heavy menstrual bleeding, meaning bleeding during the cycle. Um, Sometimes their periods are longer than seven days or sometimes they're very heavy. And what about uh, ladies who they have these symptoms and and there's just see this as a normal because, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's part of the cycle, but to know what is too much, what do you guys find out? that through the uh, through that process we do and it's really common that women won't know that they have fibroids until um, they finally get an ultrasound or an exam where someone can feel the fibroid and so especially with bleeding some women have always had heavy bleeding and they think this is normal for them but abnormal bleeding is when you bleed more than seven um, days per month or if you're really bleeding heavy where you're passing clots or a normal um, protection like a pad or a tampon is not holding the blood anymore. 
So if you're changing a pad or a tampon every hour, that would be a lot of bleeding. And what about pain? Is pain involved in this? A lot of women will have cramping that goes along with it. Okay. And that can be pretty excessive at times. But if you've always had really crampy periods, you may not know Mm -hmm. that it's abnormal. And fibroids do seem to run in families. So sometimes if your mom has always had heavy periods and she says, well, Mm -hmm. this is what's normal, you may not understand that other women don't bleed that much. Okay. And sorry, I I went right right away to the... um, to the questions and without asking you get to meet you and our friends who are listening sure who do you what uh, department do you work on? oh yeah i'm one of our gynecologists here and i'm specifically a minimally invasive surgeon so, so you work at mayo clinic i work at mayo clinic mm-hmm. okay yeah. and again sorry again the department gynecology obstetrics and gynecology and i'm okay. in the gynecology side of so uh, when you see ladies is that something that you ask do you have fibrosis history in your family or, or mm-hmm. how did that conversation comes up with, with yeah. patients? Well, here, a lot of times we're lucky enough to have, um, the patients are usually seen by another physician and then sent to us and they've already kind of had that investigation done. But some women show up and they just have had heavy periods and so we'll start the investigation. In my practice, I always look for fibroids because I know it's one of the leading causes of heavy bleeding. But some women can have heavy bleeding without having signs of fibroids. Okay. But often we'll send them for an ultrasound to confirm that they have fibroids after we've done an exam. And we also have a specialized procedure called a hysteroscopy, which is a little camera we can insert into the uterus right there in the office. And we can sometimes see those fibroids that are sitting right in the middle of the uterus. Mm-hmm. So. And um, uh, what ages can um, women start uh, developing these symptoms? Well, the symptoms we think might even precede any evidence of fibroids. So some women have heavy menstrual bleeding starting from when they first get periods. Oh, since since young. Yeah. And so, and then they they might start developing fibroids that you can see on ultrasound um, in your mid-20s or mid-30s. And can this make uh, pregnancy difficult? It can, for sure. A barrier? Yeah, it could be. Yeah, it depends on where the fibroid is. So fibroids can grow anywhere in the uterus. Um, the uterus is basically made of three layers. There's sort of an outer layer called the serosa, which is sort of like a saran wrap covering the top of the uterus. And then there's this um, nice muscle layer in the middle. And then in the inside is what we call the cavity. And that cavity is lined with tissue that women shed every month when they have their period. So the fibroids that land inside that cavity are the ones that give us the biggest trouble with getting pregnant. Okay. And going back to the study that the you guys are conducting, compare UF. Uh, we're gonna be putting the links here on the on the site on sm- smartrightnetwork.net. So if you guys are interested to learn more about the compare UF program um, and some other information that we're gonna be sharing related to fibroids. Um, Whoa, I just missed the question by getting all this information. <laughs> this is, I mean, I'm, I'm learning and I'm glad that we're having this conversation and have this platform to offer these uh, opportunities. Yeah, uh, well, if, if women are not sure which questions to ask, the compareuf.org website actually has tons of answers okay. for all the questions that they may come up with. So. Okay, so what is the, the most typical um, cases that you see in your practice? Yeah. 
So in my practice, I don't specifically deal with fertility. So people who are seeking fertility, I usually do send them to Dr. Stewart, who was here a couple episodes ago. Mm-hmm. In my practice, I deal a lot more with the people who are kind of getting closer to menopause and the bleeding has started to get out of control or patients who the fibers... So, uh, excuse me. Sure. Ladies who are going through at the end, how, how do you word that again, sorry? The going through menopause? Okay, going through by through menopause. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if they have fibroids, they still have heavy bleeding, even at the mm-hmm. stage? Yeah, so as people get closer to um, menopause, the, the number of women who have fibroids increases all the way up until you go through menopause. After menopause, fibroids don't cause a problem. They should shrink down, they should go away. But as many as 80% of women could have fibroids by the time they reach menopause age, which in the U.S. is about 51 years old. And a lot of women will start to have slightly irregular periods closer to menopause. In as early as 5 or 10 years before they're going to go through menopause, they might start changing their pattern a little bit. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the fibroids have grown just enough to cause a really heavy bleeding. So that's kind of the age range I'm starting to see people, anywhere from 35 to 50, where they're really starting to have heavier um, or irregular bleeding, and many times will then find the fibroids. I see. And, wow, so you have a market. (laughs) You have a, what are they called now, the senior tsunami coming. (laughs) So you're going to be. Yeah, unfortunately, there is quite a bit of market But it's also important to note that not all fibroids are symptomatic. So you can find fibroids just incidentally on an ultrasound. But if you're not having any symptoms, you can just ignore them. Okay, if it's not bothering you. I see. And what are the other uh, sites where you guys are, uh, where this um, study has been Mm-hmm. Conduct, where do you remember the sites? Yeah, right now, here at Mayo Clinic is one of our sites, and we're going to be including some of the sites in the health system um, within our group. There's also sites up in Boston. There's um, the Department of Defense, the DOD area in D.C., they have a site. Um, there's California has five sites, Detroit, okay. Michigan. So there's several areas all around the country okay. that have sites. And they can find their information on the site. Mm-hmm. What does... Um, how do you get into gynecology in that field? Um, well, mine is my story is a little interesting because I did a program when I was in high school for okay. future physicians, and I came home and I told my mom, I'm never going to be an OBGYN. At, at what age? is that? that was 17 years old. Okay. And then I went through med school, and I went through residency, and since I knew well, I was... All this in Chicago area? Mm-hmm, at Loyola in Chicago. And... Uh, since I knew I wasn't going to go into OBGYN, I put that as my last rotation. Well, I fell in love with it. I loved delivering babies, and I loved the chaos of the, of the obstetric ward, but the, like, nice, normal side of gynecology. And I love the major surgeries, but also having patients that we could follow long term. So I just really love the continuity of it. Okay. And um, what would it be – what would you uh, – suggest for somebody who's listening and uh, they would like to get into this field gynecology in case they're, they're in med school oh well um well i think you have to just go with what you you know your heart says really when you're choosing a field because you have to love what you do because you're going to be doing it for the rest of your life and you're going to um, work pretty much every day or you're going to be worried about your patients every day so for me i really liked 
you know, treating adults and treating specifically the women and dealing with women's issues. So for me, that was what was most interesting. But again, I really like having both the surgery and the clinical side of things. So it's not surgery 100% of the time, but it's enough surgery where you really get to get to take care of your patients all through the course of what they need done. Okay. And uh, is there males in gynecology field mm -hmm. too, also? Yeah. yeah, we have a lot of male doctors. Great. Um, another question. I hear, and, and maybe I'm confused, do you have somebody in your family that is uh, related or in the field with the hockey team? Is that <laughs> <laughs> yes. My husband plays a sport called underwater hockey. Underwater? Oh, mm -hmm. I see, with a little, like a, a scoop or a, a small stick, yep. Underwater hockey. Is that an Olympic team? It is. Is Olympic? It's not right now, but they're hoping that one day they will be. Okay. So, how, how deep is the pool where they play? It depends. So we just got back from South Africa where he was coach of the master's team for the U.S. in um, in the underwater hockey um, world championships. And they played and that one was a two-meter pool. Wow, so, so. Yeah, so it's really, it's fun to watch and it's fun to travel the world. Okay. So U.S. has a national team mm -hmm. and, wow, and he's part of it or he coaches or what he played what? this year too he played um a couple years ago in hungary he was the captain and played and then this year he was the coach and also played for the masters wow. team so there's there's men's women's and then masters men's and women's okay and where is the uh, uh, uh what stage is the proposal for becoming an olympic do you go, do you know there's this whole um because i know some some olympic during the olympics some games they're not there anymore, and then they come back. Like baseball, yeah. you got removed. Like, right. There's no Olympic. Oh, I didn't know it got removed already. Yeah, but so. Yeah, there's a big process, and there's like different, it's very strange, there's different categories of sports. So there's some sports, like he would be in the underwater sports, which would include like rugby, underwater rugby, and underwater rugby. And oh. polio. There's all sorts of things that are like water sports. Okay, um, like the coordination. Where is that one where they do? Oh, the synchronized swimming? Syn yeah. That so might be. I'm be not. Under that. Yeah. So okay. there's different like categories. And so within that category, there can only be so many Olympic sports taken from it. So there was actually a reporter in South Africa who was kind of following that process of how underwater hockey potentially could be an Olympic sport. So I'm looking for that article soon <laughs> so, <laughs> so I can find out. <laughs> do they have like little goals, mm -hmm. just like a, like a yep. soccer or, or hockey? Like a hockey, yes. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a metal um, long goal, and then they have a leaded puck that stays on the bottom, and they have to they wear snorkel gear and fins, and you have to be able to get to the bottom of the pool really quickly. So. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So where does he train? Does he go? Minneapolis. Oh, so that's, is yeah. that where the headquarters are? No, or, but or he just practices there. And he just practices there. Yeah, there's kind of a tons of teams all over the U.S. and then they um, have uh, like nationals is in Denver this year, so they have kind of championships in different areas every year. And Minneapolis hosted nationals a few years ago. Oh god, that's, yeah. that sounds really interesting. Rochester used to have a team, so we have to get enough people to play underwater hockey in Rochester to get the team back. Wow. Mm -hmm. That sounds great. Hey, question. Do you have a bicycle? <laughs> I do, but I'm in the market for a regular bike. I have a road bike. Okay. Well, great, because um, I'm going to be promoting here a uh, uh, bike swap. We're going to be having a bike swap on 
May 7 at the People's Co-op here in Rochester, Minnesota. And so if you have an old bike that you want to trade or you want to clean your garage, you can come and sell it, trade it. Um, the procedures, uh, it benefits uh, Rochester Community Bike Club. And um, the bike club works with uh, after school program and also with uh, with youth and adults who need a bicycle as a transportation. And it's gonna be Saturday, May 7, from 10 to 2. It's a $10 donation, and that goes, allows you to, you know, put a price in your bicycle and then uh, go do your shorts or your errands, and then come back and hopefully we are able to sell your bike. So last year we have a really cool bunch of bikes, uh, all kinds, we have uh, like, um, road bikes we have uh how you call those beach the cruiser. cruisers yeah that's what i want yeah <laughs> with baskets <laughs> and mountain bikes and folding bikes and you name it kids bike tons of bikes so it's cool and it's nice uh setting and you meet a lot of people who loves bicycles uh anything else uh, you would like to share with us uh with our friends about um, why we have to be aware and concerned about this treatments the mm-hmm. the woman should know about it yeah well um like i said fibers are not the only cause of heavy menstrual bleeding um but they're one of the biggest causes and women who have fibroids often um bleed so much that they tend to get anemic so it can actually be a pretty serious problem um and if they if they get anemic enough they can get very symptomatic so they can get lightheaded um, and we tend to see people who have those fibers inside the cavity as getting really symptomatic from anemia. And so sometimes when they come in, their blood counts are about a half or two-thirds of what they should be. Um, and so we can give them iron, but we also recommend trying to treat the fibroid. And there's a really simple outpatient treatment that you can have. Of course, you want a very experienced surgeon, which we have mm-hmm. several of them here. Um, and you can just remove the fibroid going in, uh, it's under anesthesia, but you go in with a camera inside the uterus and you can remove that fibroid with no abdominal incisions. So they get to go home, they get to recover pretty quickly. So that's a really nice option and it's a great alternative to having to have your whole uterus out and recover for six weeks. I see. Yeah. And um, in why, what, uh, do you know the age group the for the ladies who are taken for for participating in Compare UF? Um, the Compare UF, you know, that's, I Is think that, I think it, she mentioned during the pregnancy age, right? I mm-hmm. think yeah. Repro- reproductive. Exactly. So it's before menopause. Um, I think it's 18 to 50 if I'm right, but it's anyone who's still premenopausal can enroll in this study. Um, so as long as you haven't fully gone through and you have still have periods, then you can be in the study. Okay. And... Well, great. So this is really great information. So we're going to be posting here in the Community Board uh, podcast website on their smartrightnetwork.net. Uh, Shannon, mm-hmm. I hear that you have also, uh, you're launching a career as a comedian. Is that true? <laughs> I don't think it's going to launch very well. <laughs> <laughs> do you have a joke for us? I do. It's one of my daughter's favorites. So All right. Oh, I want to hear it. Why did Cinderella get kicked off the football team? Because oh. she kept running away from the ball. But um, dum. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> That's the best I can do. Okay, I'm gonna ask my daughter to explain it to me because. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, I'm gonna tell you one from also from my daughter, three-year-old. Um, what kind of animal falls from the sky? Why? No, what what animal falls oh. falls from the sky? What? Reindeer. Okay, uh, I, we better finish this. Uh, all right, guys. Uh, follow us on Twitter under Community Board Podcast, um, Facebook Community Board Podcast, and find all this information on in our website, SmartRightNetwork.net, and please contact us and make this podcast your podcast and come and share information that you want to share with the community all right stay tuned and come by a bike on may 7th people's co-op bye